Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Today we are Lesson 65. I titled this Reward or Judgment, and we're looking at Luke chapter 16 today. And we're going to get back in the chronological, I mean, we're in the chronological Gospels, but Luke took this section that actually began chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel. And some of these things do coincide with the other Gospels. Maybe it's just one verse of a larger section that's found in another Gospel. We'll have a couple of those as examples in this text today. But there are some of these things that only Luke dealt with. And by the time we get to Luke chapter 18, in the midst of that chapter, we'll get back into the really the chronological, the synoptic Gospels once again. And so we have this week and next week, and then we're going to be beginning to touch on the other Gospels again. We're getting close. Jesus is working his way toward Jerusalem. And so this is his final year. And once we get back into all of the Gospels, we'll rapidly get to the place of Jesus coming to Jerusalem for that final visit where he is put to death on the cross, where he is buried, and where he resurrected from the grave. So all of that is coming up. But right now, the Lord is dealing with, and he's been in the heart of this for quite a while in Luke's gospel since chapter 14, the religious rulers, but also teaching his disciples at the same time. And so we find here in chapter 16, it begins with a parable that he taught to his followers. But we discover by the end of that, that the religious rulers, the non-believers, were also listening and hearing this parable and realizing that they were being targeted by Jesus, that he was actually speaking against them. And so they had some questions for the Lord. But we have skipped Luke chapter 15, and I did this on purpose because when we were in Matthew's gospel, remember, this is the chronological gospel, so I'm trying to mesh things together. Matthew gives us the account of the prodigal son, and at that time, I actually jumped over to Luke, and we picked it up on May 21st of this year in Lesson 52, and so you can find that on our website if you'd like to hear Luke chapter 15, but I'm not going to reteach that again because we've already taught it. But there, Jesus, in Luke 15, gave three parables, and they all had a similar theme behind them. It was the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of a lost son. And we find that in each situation, whether what was found was a sheep, a coin, or a son, there was great rejoicing that took place because that which was lost had been found. But on the other hand, uh, you had the nine coins, the nine sheep, 99 sheep, and the older son who were um, 
like, especially the older son, he was upset that his brother came back. And that's how the religious rulers were. They did not like to see the sinners and the tax collectors coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They complained as if, hey, we've always been here. We've always been doing what you would have us to do. We were never lost. And physically, that may be true. They were there physically, but spiritually, they were far from the Lord, far from Christ. So as we pick up in chapter 16, Jesus gives two more parables where first he talks to his disciples and second he will talk to the Pharisees. And in between the two parables, he has just a few bullet point things that he speaks to them as a whole. And so we titled this message today, Reward or Judgment? And we're going to try to take the whole chapter, Luke chapter 16. We're going to see a steward and his master in verses 1 through 13. Lovers of money or lovers of God, 14 through 18. And Lazarus and the rich man, 19 through 31. We begin in verses 1 and 2. The word of God tells us, He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an occasion was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. So we could take this as maybe a hired property manager. In their day, it could have been a, a slave that the rich man owned, but he had elevated that slave to the position of stewardship. A great example of that would be Joseph in the Bible when he was bought by Potiphar, and Potiphar soon understood that this young lad had a mind for numbers and was able to run his whole household, his property, his wealth, and so that's a good example of a slave being elevated to the position of just under the master and having authority over all that the master had. And so it could have been a hired person. It might have been a, a slave who had just rose to that position. But the master called this man to him, hearing that he had been pilfering away some of his master's wealth, wealth and he called him to give him an account. Now, the Bible tells us, and this is true for all of us, uh, perspective from the spiritual side of these things, no matter what we're involved with, how we walk in this life, in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so we are, when we conduct ourselves in this world, we are to be found faithful. We're to do what's right. We're to walk in a way that's pleasing to God, even if we're working for or serving others. We are to be found faithful in our walk and in our conduct in this world. So we pick up in verses 3 and 4. It says, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what I will do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that I may receive that they may receive me into their houses. So I don't know if it was due to age or lack of physical ability or just the unwillingness to work with his hands. He resolved within himself. He said, I'm not good for physical labor. I can't dig. I won't beg. 
So then he determined to use his current position that would effectively give him some uh, grace with his master's creditors for the future. In Jeremiah 4.22, the word reminds us, For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. So he was being called to give an account because he had been wise to do evil, and instead of repenting, he just plans more evil. How can I um, make this work for my advantage? Because he hadn't been called to his master yet. He had some time. So he took that time, verses 5 through 8. He called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And so he said to him, take your bill, write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I find that statement very true. The sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Those who are not believers, they are often thinking about how they can um, take advantage of someone else. They're often thinking about how they can take advantage of a system to their benefit, to where we as believers, uh, in many ways, we are just trying to do what's right in the sight of God, trying to do a work that pleases those that we might be working for. Maybe we own a company, and we're just trying to do what's right within that company. We're not trying to take advantage of anyone. I remember uh, a story. I was a brick mason, as you know. I've said it for the last uh, 24 years. You should know that. Um, but a story of Montgomery Ward. Remember the big store that used to be in the Chicagoland area? Maybe across the country, but it was founded in this area. And there was a mason that was doing just solo work for the owner of this comp company. And uh, it was just him and his wheelbarrow and the work that he had to do. And at the end of the job, he came back to Mr. Ward and he said, uh, you pay me too much for this job, so I'm giving you back uh, the overpayment of this. And Montgomery Ward so liked the honesty of this one mason, he said, from now on, you will be my mason when I build my uh, stores across the Chicagoland area. And so... Because of his honesty, he was elevated to a position where this man put him into a business to run that side of the affairs. He could have just like, great, sweet, I made an extra 200 bucks. And this was a long time ago. I don't know how much the funds were, but he could have just kept it. And it would have been rightfully his. He had contracted out for the work. But because he didn't, he was rewarded. And sometimes... We get rewarded for doing the right things. Other times we do the right things and we, we won't get rewarded. But are we working for man? Are we working for the man? Or are we working for 
our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, in this situation, just to give us a little idea of what was taking place, um, a measure of oil, he had a hundred measures of oil. It was considered in that measurement a bath that contained about eight gallons. And because it was a hundred measures of oil, it would be an equivalent of a thousand denarii. This was like three years for an average day worker. So three years of pay that this man discounted his master's creditor. And then the hundred measures of uh, wheat, they would be the equivalent of a huge amount of wheat representing about 100 acres of yield, which would be between 2,500 to 3,000 denarii. So you'd, you could say anywhere between seven or nine years of a man's labor discounted. So it would be, let's just round it up to 10. And you made, you know, simple math because I like simple things. You made $40,000 a year and you multiply that by 10 that that was discounted. And so this unjust steward was hoping to secure his future by discounting his master's creditors, cutting their debt sometimes by 20 to 50%, hoping that then the creditors would remember him and take care of him, provide for him after he was fired. Now just that in its, the way it's reading makes it seem like he was a hired manager because if he was a servant, he would still be his master's servant. And so here it makes me think that he was someone who was hired by the master once he was fired because he did not want to do manual labor because he was too ashamed to beg for bread. Um, he devised a way that he could live for several years to come. Proverbs 21:25. the desires of a lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to do labor. So he may think that I, this is great. I can take advantage of the situation one last time and it will take care of me for at least a few more years. But eventually he would have to figure out someone else to cheat or something else to do because his attitude apparently would never change. I don't want to dig and I don't want to beg. So... This man, unless he changed, he was only delay the circumstance of his situation. So 9 through 13, and I say to you, make friends for yourself. This is Jesus talking now. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, that you may receive, they may receive you into everlasting homes. He who is faithful in what is the least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have been faithful in what is another man's, who will, if you have not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can turn, serve two masters, for he either will hate the one, love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so God and money is what he's talking about here. And Jesus really talking at large. He's talking to both his disciples 
as the parable tells us there in the beginning, he said to his disciples, but we know that the unbelievers were listening in as well. So at the end of the parable, he's talking to them all. If they're unbelievers, he's saying, you might as well keep on doing what you're doing because you're only going to be storing up earthly treasures on this earth and you'll get nothing after that. But if you are a believer, then be faithful to what's been put into your care and God will give more riches and give more opportunity. You cannot serve God or money. So Jesus encourages his disciples to continue to be faithful with the gifts that he had been given, that they have been entrusted with the true riches. They will perhaps be those on this earth, but ultimately it is there in heaven. And he reminds us all that we cannot have divided allegiance. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So as the Lord has gifted us, use those gifts to the glory of God. Use them to serve others, whatever your gifting might be. But to the unfaithful Pharisees, it seems to me that Jesus is speaking to them because God had entrusted the rulers of Israel with his word to teach the people. And you recall that Jesus told the people to do what your religious tell, religious rulers tell you to do. Whatever they say to do, do it, but do not follow what they do. Don't take them as an example because they were teaching the truth of God's word, but they were not following the truth of God's word in their own lives. So Jesus basically telling them to continue to make friends on this earth, continue in your unrighteous way. By doing so, they would secure at least some earthly reward, but they were forfeiting their heavenly reward. Luke 12, 21, Jesus said, So is he who lays up treasure for himself. He is not rich toward God. So I look at this and I'm thinking, I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, not taking the gifts that the Lord gives me and using them for the Lord's glory. I want to not take advantage of people on this earth, but to take advantage of the gifts that the Lord gives me that would be for the glory of God, not in a way of dishonesty like this steward, this unfaithful steward, but to be a just steward with the things that God has given us and also reminding us that we can't serve God and the things of this world. Our loyalty cannot be divided between the riches of this world and God. We must either serve God or we serve the things of this world. We cannot have a divided loyalty. So may we be found faithful with the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And God gives us these gifts, and sometimes we have to work at them, develop them to use the gifts, the skills that the Lord has given us. And so it's like, because I was a tradesman, um, there was just a learning of the repetitive use of a tool, learning how to use the tool in the best way possible, Watching, and this is something that I did as a young apprentice, 
I kind of picked out the guys who were the best. I looked around, and this may seem kind of odd to you, but um, when you are using mortar all day long and you're uh, using a trowel and you're scooping up mortar and putting it on the wall, spreading your mortar on the wall and stuff, it can get quite messy. But I noticed quite off, rather quickly, that there were some brick masons that they were not messy at all. It's like there were slobs and there were those who were not. And when I began, um, I began to look at those who were not and I kind of mimicked the things. Well, what are they doing? What are they doing that's different? How are they keeping a clean wall? How are they keeping uh, clean clothes? Um, what are they doing that is different? And so I would mimic, I would watch. So much so that one of the guys I mimicked early on in my life, he was a foreman on the job. And years later, I was working at a school, um, I think in Glendale, but somewhere around the Chicagoland area, but not in Chicago. And I, I wasn't the foreman on this job. I was being loaned out because we didn't have any work at that time. And so the foreman on the job walked up to me one day and he goes, you remind me of a bricklayer that I used to work under. And I said, oh yeah, who's that? And he named the very guy that I tried to mimic myself after early on in those early days. And I guess I'd so picked up the good things that he did that it was transferable. People could see it. Shouldn't it be that way in our walk and our faith in Jesus Christ that we so mimic Jesus and those we know within the church that are serving Christ well. We see the work that they are doing. And so we look at them and we think, well, how come they're doing things that way? What makes them different? And we begin to look and we begin to uh, understand and to follow and to mimic the patterns and and it could be very helpful for us in that regard. So just a bonus, not in my notes, but something I was thinking of as we we're going through it. So lovers of money or lovers of God, verses 14 through 18. These are either one or two verses. He just kind of um, gives a point and then moves on to another point. And there's three of them that we'll deal with in these verses. First of all, God knows our hearts in verses 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the Pharisees, who were lovers of money. So here we know that they were listening in. Jesus said, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. And now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they heard these things and they began to talk against Jesus. And Jesus reminded them that you can't serve, once again, just backing up the point, you can't serve God and money but he reminded them the things that you highly esteem among men. Many of these things are an abomination before God. So we need to know what the Lord says in every situation. What's the Lord think about this? 
I don't know if you've heard, but, you know, being involved in music most of my life, um, I, I follow social media crazy things. You guys probably don't do this, but I follow, uh, like, social media, bass player people, you know, the one-minute bass, and I can watch somebody do a neat bass riff um, because I get into that stuff. You guys probably don't, but I do. And uh, my ear is so trained that I hear music. I, I, I hear the music, but I'm actually hearing the bass and like everything that's always being played. And uh, I can tell the difference between uh, computer-generated bass doesn't do much for me, techno bass, and a real bass guitar player. I can just do the same thing with drummers because bass and drummers kind of go together. Uh, we hold the whole foundation of everything. And by the way, if anybody's listening and you're a drummer and would love to be part of this worship team and you love the Lord, we'd love to have you. We've been missing our drummer. We have that no foundation for us. But one of the uh, things that came up this week, and it probably had nothing to do with the Dove Awards organization per se, but there was a, I think he's actually a past member of Cademan's Call, a songwriter, but he showed up with Flamey Grant, a drag queen, and they were just at the Dove Awards and drag queens now at the Dove Awards. It's like the Christian equivalent of the Grammys, and uh, and we're going to accept drag queens there now too. And so this one Christian musician is just like, we have a lot of people in our industry. It's like, and the business itself, they do not have clear, defined um, understanding of the Word of God anymore. And so they are allowing things that should not even be close to anything that's called Christian. And so they're allowing it. And just because they allow it doesn't mean we have to follow it. So we need the wisdom of God's Word in this world today. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, a snare, and into foolishness and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root. I read it wrong, and I meant to say it right, but we always say it wrong. So I want to correct it because it came out as if that's what was written in Scripture. There is not a definite article in front of that. It is not, and I just accidentally read it that way, it is not the love of money is the root of all evil. It is the love of money is a root of all evil, as if there are many roots. One of those roots is the love of money. But we often quote it as, and it just slipped out on me, and I know better. It's like when I say, let's turn to your Bibles to the book of Revelations. I try not to ever say that again because it's not the book of plural revelations, even though there's many things revealed in there. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And also in the book of Revelation, if you look real close, it doesn't say streets of gold. It says street of gold. We even had a song that we sang recently, and I made Dave correct it because they were singing it as streets, and I said, we can't do that. Let's correct it in the song. And so sorry about that old hymn writer from years ago, but 
It wasn't plural, it's singular, and I want us to sing it that way. So anyways, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Pharisees, they tried to justify themselves before each other, but they were lacking the justification that they needed before God. And that is something that we need to understand. Things that the world may highly esteem, they could be an abomination before God. And so we need to be careful about the things we get involved with. And I gave you several bullet points. I'm not going to skip, read through them all. But just scriptures that talk about um, what the Lord sees and what a man sees, what is an abomination to the Lord and the things that uh, God may see. But let's just take two from Proverbs. Proverbs 16:2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. And so we need to know that the Lord is the one who judges all things. Even though it may seem right to us, God is going to judge. How about Proverbs 26? Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? So let's not be those who try to proclaim our own goodness advertise, look at me, how good I am. Let's just be faithful with the gifts that the Lord has given us. Second one is also two verses. God's kingdom has been preached. It says, the law and the prophets were until John, referring to John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. And so here, Jesus is talking about a definite period of time that took place. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament period and the 400 silent years that we have between the Old and the New Testament. These are the things that guided the people of God until John the Baptist came teaching and repent the kingdom of God is at hand and proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God it takes away the sin of the world so until that time the religious faithful people were guided by the law and the prophets but now the kingdom has come now Jesus had come and now Jesus for us, looking back at this situation, he's given his life on the cross. He was buried in a grave. He rose again from the grave. And so now we have people who are pressing in, those who are coming in. To the religious rulers, they were seeing the tax collectors, the sinners from their perspective. And they didn't like it. And yet Jesus is teaching them that there is a new way. It's built upon the old, it's built upon the law and the prophets, but everything that the law and the prophets were pointing to was Jesus. It was all about Jesus all along. In Acts 24, 14, Paul said, And this I confess to you, that according to all the way, which is called a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things that were written in the law and the prophets. And Jesus said, not a tittle would pass away. This is basically in Hebrew. Um, they have little um, ornamental strokes that they put. So for us, an easy way to view this in our um, English alphabet would be 
like the dot over the top of a small eye. Not even the dot of the small eye would pass away until all things are fulfilled. And so in the Hebrew, and they don't even use, I mean, it, it makes it difficult, but once you learn the language well, they don't even use the jot and the tittle. That is for like the kids, great kids, students learning how to write. Uh, they use them, it's to help them to know how to properly pronounce certain words. But Jesus said, even to that detail, it will not pass away. Reminding us of Isaiah 55:11. so my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the things that I, which I sent it. And then just a one-liner, verse 18, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who has been divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so in Matthew's gospel, we get an understanding that there was a debate uh, between the Pharisees. They actually asked Jesus, this is what Moses said. We can write a certificate of divorce, but what do you say? And so there was this long-standing debate in that time. It's not, the debate itself is not found in the Bible per se, except for they were questioning Jesus, trying to get him in on it. But there were two rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel, who said that, Rabbi Shammai, you could be divorced for almost any reason, anything goes. But Rabbi Hillel said, uh, that actually, um, I did that reverse. Shammai was only for some type of immorality like fornication or adultery. Rabbi Hillel, almost any reason. So they're trying to get Jesus in on this debate. The Pharisees had interpreted God's law to say something that it actually did not, to satisfy the lust of their flesh. Jesus would actually say in Matthew's gospel that Moses wrote you this command of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. This is not God's plan. In the beginning, God created them male and female, and the two become one flesh. That is God's plan. So a bit disjointed, moving from point to point, but realizing that God's word, God's law, will be fulfilled. Wouldn't it be wise for us then to follow the word of God, to walk as children of God? And finally, and we're going to kind of plow through Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus and the rich man. And this is the only parable that Jesus actually used a person's name in. Some have thought that maybe it wasn't a parable at all. Maybe Jesus was actually talking about a person named Lazarus. Lazarus, by the way, his name means he who, whom God heals. So he begins this parable saying, verses 19 through 21, there is a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So we have two opposites here on this earth, and it's quite common in this world. We have those who have great wealth, and those who are without great wealth, and those who are so um, without means are able to care for themselves. And it doesn't tell us why Lazarus was in the condition that he was in. 
other than he was laid at the gate. So it's as if maybe physically he couldn't work for himself, that someone brought him, laid him at the gate of the rich man. All he hoped for was the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. All he got was the dogs. And this is not like your cute little puppy dogs. Um, When they use dog, most often not in the New Testament, it's referring to wild dogs that kind of roam the streets. And so if that's any comfort for you to have wild dogs come up and lick at your wounds, I doubt it would just be another frightening scenario. But that was the contrast between the two. And then the Lord went on to say, verses 22 and 23, it was that the beggar died. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in the torments in Haiti, he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here we have a clear role reversal reversal here. He had been laid at the rich man's gate, just hoping for um, the crumbs of the rich man's table. But Lazarus, now he died. He's carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is found in the torments of Hades. So Hades is the Greek word that we translate as hell. In the Old Testament, it would be shield. The same thing, they both are translated out as the grave, the pit, the abyss. And uh, actually, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, and I looked it up for us, that the word shield is only used 18 times. And there's 23,145 verses in the Old Testament. Only 18 of them talk about shield. But Job, without using the word shield, he described what they felt about it of their day in Job 3, 17 through 19. He said, there the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. A small, the small and the great are there. The servant is free from his master. So that was an Old Testament view of shield or The Greek word Hades, for us, we would say hell. Abraham's bosom, though, um, it is believed that before Jesus' death, that people didn't immediately go to heaven to be absent today for us as believers. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Before Jesus' death, though, he hadn't paid the price of that sacrifice. And so there was, in this sense, the belief of Hades of having um, both descending to this place, but one place called paradise. As Jesus said to the one thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And the other place, a place of suffering, that even in the book of Revelation, it tells us that death and Hades will give up their dead and they'll be cast into the lake of fire to be judged forever and ever. And so at that time, here we have it being described by Jesus, that there was this great gulf between the two. But we noticed that the rich man could look across. He could see Lazarus being comforted in the bosom of Abraham. And then he cried out in verses 24 through 26, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip 
the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this place, or flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you is this great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there cannot pass to us. And so he reminded the rich man, there's been this role reversal. He said, in, in your life, man, you, you had it made, but now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in torment. Besides, the thing that you are asking, it cannot happen. It can't be accomplished. I can't send Lazarus to you. And I've always viewed this. This has just been stuck in my head probably since I was a teenager. But what would a few drops of cold, cool water do on someone's tongue if they are in such torment? I don't think it would have been much. But also, this makes me think of part of the church that thinks, uh, teaches that there is purgatory, that you can work your way out of uh, what they would call purgatory, and you spend enough time or someone here on earth spends enough money in your account that you can buy your way by either works or someone else's gifts from hell into heaven. But Abraham said this is an impossibility. And so we just need to remember that. The decisions we make today for Christ last on into eternity, whether in judgment or in everlasting life. So he says, 27 through 31, closing out the chapter, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, my father, Abraham. But if one goes up from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither, neither will they be persuaded. The one is raised from the dead. Realizing that his fate was sealed, realizing that Lazarus could not come to him to comfort him, he says, if Lazarus can't come to me, then send him to my brothers. I don't want my brothers to come to this place. Perhaps the rich man and his brothers had joked about Hades before, saying, man, when we die, we get to Hades. It's just party's got to continue. And we've heard that same thing today for those who do not walk in Christ, that if I'm going to hell, at least all my friends will be there. If you end up going there first, you'll be hoping that your friends do not arrive and that you can keep them from coming to that place. But Abraham reassured him, and it wasn't reassuring whatsoever, that it was too late. But also he, he said, even if one would raise from the dead, the interesting thing about this is that Gospel of John Jesus raised a man from the dead. His name happened to be Lazarus. He raised him up from the dead. And what did the religious rulers want to do? They said, 
of Lazarus, now we need to also kill him. Because of him, many people are believing in Jesus. So they wanted to kill Jesus. And when Lazarus was raised up from the dead by Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus. Even if one would raise up from the grave, they will not believe. The unrepented quite often are unpersuaded to follow in the ways of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you to receive the grace of God, to not receive the grace of God in vain. He said, In acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we prepare our hearts for heavenly reward. Initially, you have to come to faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost. And then as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to walk in such ways that we are pleasing God and walking in ways that honor him while on this earth. Father, thank you for your word that you've presented to us this day. And as we close out in one last song of worship, Lord, we just ask that you'd use this time to continue to speak to our hearts as we sing with one another. Lord, maybe some will come to pray at the prayer benches. Maybe some will come to share a prayer request with Pastor Kevin. Lord, whatever the case may be, minister in our hearts at this hour. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.